we will, I want to say, continue in our series in the book of Matthew, but we're actually culminating. We're finishing up our series in the book of Matthew today. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, it's been a year and a half. We started two Christmases ago covering the book of uh, Matthew and working our way systematically through uh, to see what's in all 28 chapters, uh, passage at a time. Uh, today we do the final five verses and we're done. And so uh, kind of begs the question, a couple of people have been asked, well, what's next? What are we doing next? Right? It's this idea of what's next, which is funny because uh, the end of the book, the disciples are going to be asking that same question. What's next? And what comes at the end of Matthew? What does Jesus say is next? And uh, I'm kind of living that a little bit uh, in my own life because uh, it was like a week and a half ago. I turned 50. And then Friday, don't put the picture up. No. So, uh, and then Friday, my second and last son, uh, Cyrus, graduated, so I have no more high school boys. So that's kind of weird. And there's a little bit of a question in life of what's next? What are we doing next? What do you want to do next, son? Go out to dinner? <laughs> uh, so uh, there's kind of got this little bit of a theme going on. What's next? And uh, we're going to see because Jesus is actually going to tell us exactly what's next uh, at the very end. Um, uh, but before we do that, I want to pray and then, uh, then we'll get going. Lord, thanks for our time. Thanks for this book. Thank you for what you've been teaching us. And thank you, Lord, that it doesn't end. That you continue, you keep going. And we have an option to be part of that. So I pray, Lord, uh, for our time this morning, for what your son said as it was ending, as it was finishing. Um, pray, Lord, that we would understand what it means for us. And Lord, we want to see how the disciples took it. But uh, more importantly, Lord, we want to know how to respond ourselves. Uh, so be with us this morning. We pray you'd guide uh, our time in honor of your son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so before we before we jump in, I want to make sure we set the setting uh, because we're going to read just five verses this morning. But really, that they're they're at the end of a book that for most people they would have read in its entirety in one sitting. And by the time you get to these last five verses, you would have been thinking of all the things referenced. From the very beginning, the genealogy of how do we get from Adam all the way up to Jesus and what are the ramifications of that, that he is tied to the tribe of Judah, um, uh, that he's also through his mom tied to the tribe of Levi, or some would say Levi. Uh, and what does that mean? That he's the kingly tribe, he's also the priestly tribe, and he comes on the scene, but right before that, there's Elizabeth uh, and the cousins and how they come about and John the Baptist's ministry. And Jesus comes on the scene. John baptizes Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, everything starts taking off. He's teaching and traveling, and people are trying to get him. And 
people with leprosy are walking away totally clean. People blind, Jesus is spitting in the dirt, rubbing it on their eyes, which is kind of odd. And they're seeing. Dead are being raised. Concepts that they've believed for generations, Jesus is redefining and explaining to them to ways that they're understanding it in a new way. And all the while, Jesus is moving towards this final date in Jerusalem. And a week before, on, on uh, Palm Sunday, he marches into the city, knowing full well what's about to happen, sure death. But he, he marches in one foot after another anyways, on the donkey in the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Prophecy coming together every turn. He does the Lord's Supper. He gets in trial. He's crucified. Sunday morning, the ladies go. The stone's gone. The disciples run in. Where's he? And Jesus tells them, after all of this, go to, go to Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. I'll see you in Galilee. And after all that's happened, there's this tremendous sense of who Jesus is. For some of them, they might have had doubts who Jesus might be. It probably looked like Jesus had lost because he had died. Some of them were probably thinking that uh, he, he wasn't really resurrected that his body was stolen. In fact, we saw last week that they paid good money to promote that concept that uh, the disciples had come and stolen the body, so it wasn't real. And in the midst of all that doubt and all that story, here's this little, this little command, this little request of Jesus. Hey, meet me in Galilee. You have the disciples now having to make a choice, and probably the question in their mind is, what's next? What should we do? And I want us to see this morning how the disciples respond and give us a sense of what's next for us. Because uh, 2,000 years later, we need to understand, after the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's meant to follow it? What's next? So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, last five verses of the book. Here we go. Now, the 11 disciples, why 11 disciples? Weren't there 12? We lost Judas, didn't we? Judas kind of, er, he turned right at the last minute, made a mistake. We talked about that in length when we covered that passage a few weeks ago. And so you can go back and look at that. It might not all be bad news for him. But it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. That sounds like a, like a little filler sentence that you would say, for, to help you understand that we're about to hit the real story. But I, I want to make sure you guys understand that these five verses have had whole books written about them. And that one sentence says myriads. The 11 disciples went to the Galilee. Jesus said when he came out of the tomb, he saw the ladies, tell the boys, meet me in Galilee. And where'd they go? They went to Galilee, and I, I need you to see that at that point, they still had enough faith because they'd seen enough, they'd witnessed enough, they'd been taught enough that they still wanted to follow. Even if there was a chance that this wasn't a hoax, that it might be real, they said, we're gonna go to Galilee. And I ask you, how many of them went? All of them. 
It's, it says the 11 disciples went. It doesn't say the disciples went to Galilee. It says the 11 disciples went to Galilee. And I need you to understand, in the Bible, First Testament, New Testament, when, when the, the boys wrote in Greek and when the Hebrews wrote in Hebrew, when they write a number, it's on purpose. When they put a word in, it's on purpose. And I want you to beg the question, do you believe that God would influence what somebody would write down to what they would pick certain words to get a, a, a something across? Because it very easily could have said, and the disciples went to Galilee, but it says the 11 on purpose so that you knew all of them decided to go. When the question came up, what's next? The tomb's empty, the stones rolled away, there's all these rumors, people are trying to kill us. What's next? Let's all go. And I'm gonna take the risk of being seen with 12 other guys that are following Jesus and we're all headed one direction. We're gonna draw attention to ourselves. We could get ourselves in trouble, but here's what's next for us. We're going. And it's a great, great testament. There's a chance we'll go to Galilee. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. He says, go to the mountain in Galilee and there you will see me. Verse 17, and when they saw him, boy, we just said a lot right there, didn't we? And when they saw him, four words implying what? Yes, the tomb was empty. Yes, the stone was rolled away. Yes, he did resurrect and he did show up in physical form. All of the disciples saw him. They all decided to follow and Jesus shows up. Now, this is the little boy in me. If it doesn't work, I'm not doing it anymore. When the bike doesn't work anymore, you throw it away. If my God doesn't show up, I don't follow him anymore. That's just a little bit of my personality. I don't know if you're like that. My guess is you kind of are because we all came from the same place. We all have similar experiences. If God says he's going to do something and he doesn't do it, does he qualify as God? No. When God fulfills his prophecy and gets it right every single time, that's when you might want to listen to him. Might want to start following him. In fact, that's how they picked the books of the Bible. They predicted anything and got it wrong. Of all the things that they predicted, they predicted something and got it wrong. It wasn't qualified. It was disqualified from being in the Bible. I love that he actually shows up. He says, hey, meet me over there, top of that mountain. When you get there, I'll be there. And they show up and it happens. Is that true with him for you in any parts of life? How have you tried it? If you haven't tried it and you got nothing, the equation works. It still works. If you don't try, right? Zero times anything in the equation equals zero. Okay, we do basic math here at Rock Bible Church. Sometimes we get more complicated, but he either shows up or he doesn't, right? When they saw him, they worshiped him. What was next for them? Worship. We're going to follow. 
What's next for us? Because I, w- I want to ask you a question. Um, we sang, this is how I fight my battles. It's kind of violent for a church, isn't it? Are you, are you clear that there's battles? Right? The question is, how do we fight the battles? How do we approach things? And is God part of how we approach difficulty? We know there's shade in life, that there are mistakes, that there's evil, that there's bad, there's wrong. The question is, do we engage God in our pursuit or our avoidance or our solution to those things? They said, we're going to worship. And then watch this. But some doubted. Oh, what a horrible thing to say. After all that Jesus has done, 28 chapters of bliss and perfection, and, and yet you decide, you, I mean, you all showed up, but then you had to doubt still. Why is that in there? Is, is doubting wrong? I mean, because I kind of tried to sell it as if it was wrong, right? But I think I was a little too sarcastic, and you kind of got the point. Doubting is normal, isn't it? Regular? Why do we doubt? Someone said in the second row, because we're human. Is that true? I want you to think about something. Uh, doubting is not only normal, it's by design. I love that this is in there because it's not giving me permission. It's describing how life is. It's describing how we are. By the way, where did humans come from? God. Okay. Let's have a little theological exercise. Ready? God's perfect. Yes? Okay, let's just go with that. He's in control of all things. If we go with those two premises, okay? And we'll throw in good. Good's kind of implied in him being perfect, right? Okay, but I just want to say it out loud. So he's perfect, which means good also. And he's in control of all things. Earlier you said humans came from him. That was the design. We're all his creation. If he's perfect and you're his creation, then are you perfect? I didn't know this was going to turn into a seminary class. (laughs) Right? Earlier we were singing. We took a break. We took communion. And I explained to you, he said, this is the blood of a new covenant. Now, what was that? We're going to throw out some of the old uh, Jewish law, and we're going to give permission now to do certain things. Jesus said new covenant. What he meant was much more than just the old Jewish laws. New way of thinking, new priorities, new definitions, new goals. How about perfect become one of the new definitions that he reclaims? And he says... Even if you have doubts, it's because you are designed that way because the perfect, all-in-control God created you that way to have holes. You're holy. (laughs) Two different ways. By design, you're holy. He calls you value. By design, you're missing some things. Why? So that you need other people. And when you learn that you need other people, you learn ultimately that you need him. 
Doubting is not a problem. Doubting is part of the design. And when you doubt, you know what it pushes you to? Further the experiment. Further the path. Try it again. Can we duplicate this? It's a great statement. Refers to Thomas, probably, and more, because it says some, which we don't get in the other Gospels. So thank you, Matthew, for clarifying that Thomas isn't the bad guy. But if Thomas had not doubted, what would we be missing? We'd be missing doubting Thomas, right? He says, I won't believe till I see the scars on his hands and his feet. And did he see him? Yeah. Boy, it makes me feel a little better as a doubting person. It also gives me somewhat of evidence that there were those who doubted and they got hard evidence, visible, physical evidence that it was him. Helps me with my doubt of did it really happen. Love this. You're allowed to have doubt. Uh, you allowed to be angry with God? Question him? Be confused? Dislike his decision? Right? Anybody been told no by God before? Okay, three of you. The rest, liars. You have borne false witness against your neighbor, okay? No, it's okay for us to be imperfect and therefore be perfect because we're under a new covenant, new definition, right? Otherwise, we got to get into like who's perfect and who's not, like who's better, boys or girls, right? If you can't solve a calculus problem in your head, now you're not perfect. No, that's not how it's defined. Perfect is defined within a set, a whole of interactive relationships. Now, do you have a perfect place in that set? I do. Cool. You fit where he intended. Uh, some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, and now here's maybe one of the most famous statements of all time. All right? And... Uh, Within Southern Baptist circles, for sure, it's got to be like top five or so, right? And, and we hang out with the Southern Baptists, just so you know, right? We like them. Uh, all authority, how, how much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, first service, I read that, and one guy, said hallelujah. I was amazed. I was like, yeah, hallelujah. Someday our churches get to a place where we read something like that and more than one person will say hallelujah, right? Because I'll say kind of like this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hallelujah. See, like that. Instead of having one guy say it. And here's the sad part. It was the same guy in both services. <laughs> right? I don't think we realize what's been said right there. All authority means who's the boss. And he says, in heaven on earth, so that we're clear that in the only two realms, he's the boss. And it gives us a why, which is the question that I beg of. When I read the sentence, it has been given to him. That's how he got it. That's why he got it. And the question I'd beg, 
who gave him all authority in heaven and on earth? God the Father. Which makes me think, I want to know that guy for sure. But if Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, are we in a new covenant? Is there a new game being played? New rules, different uniforms, the whole thing. Outcomes. Okay, great. We're playing a game. How do I score? This is pretty much my question almost always, right? Everything's a game, and I want to know how to score. And Jesus, in charge, is about to give us that. He says, I'm in charge by God's design, and now he's going to give us what's next. Okay, one of the easiest sermons to title ever. Here's what's next. Verse 19, and here's the big famous phrase. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How many nations? Okay, all people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hmm, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why not just the Father? Because Jesus didn't say just the Father, right? He said Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So we're baptizing the name of, like if you had to shorten it, because we're human, we're lazy, we like to shorten things, right? Make an acronym or whatever, or an abbreviation. Instead of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which by the way, when we baptize here, people come up and risen with Christ, right? We do, and I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we, we can make it faster if we use a shorter phrase. Any, any ideas? Oh, Trinity! Hey, there's a word. Can I get on a soapbox for a second? I want to prepare you for the people who go Pharisee and freak out about the Trinity concept, okay? Because some of them will call the church and want to have an argument with me. Actually happened. You know, Trinity's nowhere in the Bible. Who said this again? He said to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's the Son who's saying this, right? You know, Trinity's not in the Bible. Oh, really? We have a verse from all authority on heaven and earth. This is how we're supposed to baptize. And um, the other one that I like, they say, well, yeah, but the word Trinity never appears in the Bible. So what? Neither does internet. But I probably have some thoughts about the internet from scripture, right? Goofy people will come up with goofy things. Should we get off the, um, uh, the soapbox now? Trinity's in the Bible, folks. Not as a specific word, but the concept is everywhere. In fact, if you just try to look for it, it will smack you in the face, okay? But, as in life, in all areas, if you want to argue, you can find a way to argue, right? I mean, this is what difficult people do, not you, right? Don't be difficult. So there's our trinity. Teaching them, verse 20, teaching them, teaching. Does that, does that, is that a title thing that happens? If I teach Katie, do I just like give her a membership card and she's been taught? No, you, teaching doesn't happen through a membership, right, or a title. Teaching happens over time with lessons and going through concepts and making mistakes and exercises. 
right? It's a process. So what's our commitment to them? Process, time, investment, which, by the way, is why we do Sunday mornings every week, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Cool. Good news, folks. All you have to do is observe the commandments. You just need to see them and know what they are and then hold everybody else to them, but you don't have to do them yourself. Is that what observe means here? No. Uh, Welcome Rock Bible Church. We tend to use the English Standard Version translation of the Bible. The ones that we hand out are ESV. The one I teach from is ESV. You guys call me or email me. Hey, which, I'm getting a new Bible. Which one should I get? And I say, oh, you definitely should get the ESV, right? And then you get really all serious about, oh, is that the best translation? Because you're Western culture Americans, right? And you, all you do is best, right? And I say, no, it's not because it's the best one. It's because it's the one we use on Sundays. That's why you should get it. And when I'm reading, you want to follow along, right? There are different translations, and is, there's no translation that is perfect, amen? Because original Bible was in Greek and Hebrew and a couple small portions of Aramaic, which you have to say every time or some Pharisee will send you an email, okay? But the idea here is maybe better conveyed in this older translation, not that much older, but you know, 30 years ago, the NIV, the New International Version. That would say, instead of teaching them to observe, it would say, and teaching them to Okay, pretty good. Pretty good. Don't worry, in the next couple years we'll be a church finally. <laughs> teaching them to obey. How is obey different than observe? Observe, you might try to do it, but obey is really clear. Knowing is not enough. Knowing what's right is very different than doing what's right. It's why we have policemen, right? Teachers, coaches, dads. Because if you don't have a little correction and learn how to obey, you might not make it to graduation. So there's this idea that we're supposed to teach them to observe all that he has suggested. You know, bring us back to our uh, ESV. All that he has commanded. It's kind of pretty rough confrontational language, right? All authority has been given to me and you're going to do everything I commanded. Is that, does Jesus sound like that to you? No, it's never meant to be that way. It's meant to be a hint, a coax, a, hey, why don't you come with me, an invitation of this is how it actually works from now on. Here's where the rules are made. Here's the direction the design is going. Do you want help? Do you want clarity? Do you want purpose? Do you want understanding? Do you want to know how to focus? Do you want a seat? Because you can have a seat. And behold, good luck, you're on your own. So what does he say? He says, I am with you always to the end. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at to the end. Because if there was an end, there'd be no next. And I've been pushing the concept for months now through the book of Matthew that the book of Matthew kind of screams lightly, which I know that's a contradiction, uh, 
at this idea that as Christians, as followers of God, as Christ followers, Jesus always allows and provides for a next. There's no end. There's just next, which is why Matthew qualifies it with of the age so that you can get the answer correct when you're playing useless trivia. What's the last word in the book of Matthew? It's age rather than end. And it implies that there's an end of this age, but what's maybe the next age or what's after this age? Because it's only the age that ends. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word, amen? amen? Not just the five verses, but the whole 28 chapters. And it really screams to us of what's next. And I want to pull out some things. And, and may, you may think that these are obvious or may, these may hit you as, gosh, they should have been obvious and maybe I should have understood these, but I'm glad he said it out loud. And the first one is this. So what's next? Whatever he authors. Whatever he authors. It, he says, all authority has been given to me. Heaven and earth. Think about that word, Authority. When you have authority, kind of the root word is to author. The implication in the meaning of authority is that from this point forward, you get to write the script. You get to author what's next. So what's next? Whatever he decides. Whatever he decides to write. I don't mean literally write, but what's the next chapter for you? You never have to worry about what's next if you don't believe in next. And next can be scary and ambiguous and who knows and can't plan for it and we'll just let life happen to us if we don't believe that there's someone with true authority who has created and designed what he calls perfection, although others would like to call it missing, flawed, twisted, we tend to define ourselves that way as humans for anybody else that's different than us. And God's not saying that. God's saying that we're mid-story. There is a next chapter. I'm continuing to write. Will you engage? When you change your perspective to look at life that way, it will drag you into this little four-letter word concept. It's really scary called hope. What does hope do for you? It brings you into future. It brings you into try. It brings you into next. What is specifically next for you? I have no idea. I have been not been given the spiritual gift of prophecy in telling the future. Amen. It's probably the most clear thing we can agree on this morning. God has a next for you as to what it is. You'll have to figure it out. And how are you going to figure it out? Well, I think, I think we'll at least give you some clues as to how we're going to do that in the next two. All right? And the next two are this. Uh, the most, most clear about what's next, as far as Jesus has commanded, is make disciples. Make disciples. I want you to look at the verse of this command. 
I put at the top of your outline. I want you to notice that uh, I didn't just let it auto-fill the first line and then whatever bleeds over goes to the second line and then whatever bleeds over would be the third line. I actually broke it up by verb and sentence construction because there are actually four verbs in this. One of them is a command. Do you know which one it is? Oh no, we did math. Now we're doing English. What's the obvious guess of if there's a command in this verse? What's the obvious guess? Go, right? Hey, first thing you run it, go. I know that every single time I use that phrase on my kids, it's a command. Doesn't always work. But I want you to understand, like I said earlier, no translation is perfect from the original language. And here's an example. Because go in Greek in this passage is actually a participle. You know when you add ing? Like to see, that's an infinitive, to see. When you are seeing and you add ing to see, it becomes a participle. I know this because I had a lot of fun with my Greek professor figuring out how do you form participles in Greek because I was confused. I made a chart. It was awesome. He liked it so much, he copied it and passed it out to the whole class. I think I kind of understand participles. It says, actually, if we chant it into literal English, going, therefore, we make disciples of all nations, and baptizing, participle, and teaching, participle. Right? What's the actual command then? I'll give you a hint. It was the fill-in. <laughs> Make disciples. That's the uh, imperative form. Imperative means it's, in, it's imperative you do this, right? That's how they like to say it. it's a command, which I don't understand in Greek. Why don't you just call them commands? Why do you have to call them imperatives and confuse us simple folk? Anybody ever ask you the purpose of life? Maybe one person or no one ever asked that question. Why? Because as scared as you are of having to try and answer that question, they are scared of asking it. Because as soon as you forward that question and lay it out on the table, awkwardness hits and comes down in sheets. It's, I don't know what to say. Where are we going with this? I got to get my hair done. It's like you want out. Because no one knows. Today, from this day forward, you will never be unclear about that question ever again. What's your own purpose, purpose in life? Uh, to love and to be happy and to be good to mankind. I mean, there's all kinds of great phrases that might be unique to you, but here's the general one that Jesus gave us at the very end of the book after all the evidence that we had. Your job, your purpose in life is to make disciples. We are to follow God and help others do it. That's the meaning of life. That is why I'm here. Now, little test. Who's the first disciple you're supposed to make? Okay, good, good. Yourself, right? You got to follow yourself. You can't really coach soccer if you never play soccer, okay? It's that concept. But our job is to make disciples by going. Not just staying in here and having a nice little country club. Our 
programs are meant to attract people. And we're meant to go out of here and engage with the world and engage with the community and join leagues and shop with them and go to the same places and have them over the house and go to their house and be around them and act like Jesus. Best we can. We're meant to be going out there. And when we go out there, we're meant to baptize. Now, is everybody going to be baptized? Say no. Do you have to be baptized? No. Some people will point to this verse and say, Jesus commanded it. No, it was a participle. The command was make disciples. A lot of people will get baptized. And do we promote baptism? We are Southern Baptists, okay? Right? Not because Jesus commanded it, but because Jesus said, hey, you, you should do this. Does it get you into heaven? No. Only the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that's the only thing that gains us interest into heaven, forgiveness of sin and grace and salvation, all that kind of stuff. To say that you needed baptism would actually cheapen the cross. It would cheapen what Jesus did. It would technically be heresy. Because now you need Jesus and you need something else and what you're saying is Jesus wasn't enough. Anybody want to say that? I don't. I'd get in a lot of trouble, I think. So baptism is something we do. Well, it's not commanded. It doesn't get you into heaven. Then why do we do it? Why do you cheer at a sporting event? Kid graduates, you buy him a gift. Why? Promote. Draw attention. Throw a party. Make noise. Why not do that about God? Baptism is a testament. It's a profession. It's, it's a showing. It's a spectacle. And we do it to say, hey, I am disciple now. You should be disciple too. That's really basically all it is. And from this day forward, that's what I'm going to do. And there's people that say, if you're not baptism, then the Holy Spirit will not descend on you like he did Jesus, and you will not have the Spirit, and you are out to, to lunch, out of luck. Do not pass go. Go directly to jail. Folks, not true. Okay, not true. And lastly, teaching. We gotta teach. Because the stuff is complicated. At first glance, it's kind of, Kind of simple. Jesus died for you. Okay, I like that. Now, what does that mean? Oh, well, we need to have a 12-week class. you know. Or let's just go on Sundays every week and we'll continue to teach so that we figure it out because none's righteous. No, not one. And we need the help of each other. That's the perfect design. And we're going to keep working on it so that we do more than observe, we obey. That's how we teach our kids. It's how we teach our spouses because some of us are... Right? I mean, praise God for Julie that her pastor, her husband's a pastor because he'd really be a mess if he wasn't. I kind of wonder sometimes if that's why I became a pastor because I need more help than everybody else. I needed to study it more. That'll keep you humble, huh? Think about it that way. Anyways, that's our purpose in life. Make disciples. What's next? Make disciples. Go, baptize, teach. And then lastly, after all you've observed... And now, I'm, and now I say this as seen, experienced witness. Will you climb the mountain? 
You see, Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I commanded. You know, the, the disciples were doing that kind of the best they could. Now, they mess it up a lot. Absolutely. They make mistakes for sure. But it was all said and done. Jesus said, meet me up on the mountain in Galilee. And the boys decided to climb the mountain still. Well, gosh, Scott, that's very devotional and sounds really fun, symbolic. But what do you mean by climb the mountain? Uh, life's not going to be easy. When you accept God, every does, everything doesn't turn into like Winnie the Pooh and Tigger too. There's still going to be difficulty. Things are going to, people will oppose you. Not in big things, but just they don't want to go to the movie. They want to go to dinner. And you're like, well, I'm going to miss the movie. I mean, down to the little smallest things. You're going to have decisions to make that might feel like work and you're going to decide to do the work and climb the mountain and pursue God and figure out what he's writing about and what he wants to do next and are you being a disciple along the way and are you promoting others to become followers as well? What's your mountain? I have no idea. Remember we covered me in prophecy a little bit ago? And quite frankly, I don't want to know. I have enough trouble with my mountains. Right? I'm over 50. I got two grads. I got a girl on the way up. Oh, no. And I got to figure out what's next for me. Here's what I don't need to figure out. Am I doing it with God? And when I get to the top, will I meet him there? I have doubts. I'm human a male, and I barely made it through public school. But even my doubts under this new covenant are being redefined. I'm doubting different things now and having a lot of fun. You see, my second son graduates, so my oldest son flies into town. And I'm driving with my oldest son to get supplies for my youngest son's party. And he doesn't want to do it, but we got to go. And no, everybody else is working or in school, so we're the ones. And as we're driving around, we get into the discussion. How did we get here? Boy, isn't it weird. I graduated last year, and now Cyrus this year. And boy, it wasn't long ago that I hit my head on that sculpture in Little Rock at the minor league baseball game before. How did I get here? How did, in fact, how old were you and mom when I was born? And we, I'm like, where are we going with this? I already feel old enough. Like he's getting all nostalgic with me and asking me this question. And we and come to find out he was born when I was about 30 years old. This is the discussion. Like, where are we going with this? But I had a little fun. I was thinking to myself about this and where I am in life and the whole thing. And I just turned to him and said, you know, John, I just want you to know you do not need to wait till you're 30 to have kids. It was the greatest thing because he did not know what to say. This is my son who always has something to say in every environment. He just looked at me and he was, are you telling me I should have kids soon or where? What? Are you okay, dad? You know, I mean, it, was, it was this great little moment, right? Both of us in the car have doubts. My doubts, based on what I've seen and experienced, are very different than his doubts. Start redefining your doubts. Figure out what your mountains are. And let's do what's next. Amen?
Should I explain? <laughs> These two are giving me eyeballs because the, the boy, my son's girlfriend, is their daughter. So they're, they're like, he's got, I think he's got a knife right there. <laughs> Lord, thanks for comedy. Thanks for fun. Thanks for truth. Uh, thank you, more importantly, for you that there was life beyond the cross. That we're still the challenge, is still the decision. Do we worship? Do we follow? What's next? I pray, Lord, that uh, just like you had answers to the cross, you had answers to sin, you had answers to death, you have answers to life moving forward on what the mountains are, what the solutions are. We thank you. We praise you. We are actually excited that all authority on heaven and earth have been given to you. Now, Lord, just continue to help us. Because we'll mess it up. But we don't want to. We want to get it right. And we want to follow you the best we can. Help us to be your disciples. And show others the way to it as well. If you're here this morning, if you've never done this, you can talk to God yourself. You can ask him however you want. I don't need to say it for you, but you need to do it because you can start your following today. You might just say that to him. God, I want to start following that from this day forward. And if you want to be baptized, it won't save you, but we'll baptize you so that you can make that statement. We'll do it any Sunday you want. But let us know because we're about to receive an offering to help us be a church that makes disciples. And so we want to help you. Father, we thank you for all this, and we pray for this offering. May you bless it, that we might be disciples and make disciples. Amen.